The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I might add to my bio, too, that I'm just retired. So today I want to speak on uh, deepening practice through the Eightfold Path, and particularly the wisdom factors, uh, right view and right intention. So especially right view, the, the view and understanding that actions have consequences for good or for bad. Without exception, actions have consequences. And right intention, the three elements of right intention are renunciation or letting go of outcomes, the intention for loving kindness, goodwill, and the intention for non-harming, which manifests as compassion. So over the years um, of practice, really sought the, to bring these more fully into my life. When I first came to practice, I thought it was all about the cushion and being on retreats. And that's great, and I have the good fortune to be able to take over my practice, always take at least six weeks of uh, silent retreat practice every year. Now I have the good fortune of being able to go on a three-month retreat, finally, this fall for the first time. But I thought at the beginning that it was all about sitting. And uh, I remember one time, about a year or two into practice, I was on the driving home from the airport where I worked, stuck in traffic, as usual, waiting for about three light cycles, to get through one intersection, feeling very impatient. I want to get home so I can sit. <laughs> impatient to be here now. So it finally hit me. Oh, maybe the t this is what the teachers mean about bringing the practice into every aspect of our lives. So I started to bring it more fully into my life. So I reflect back to, so I'll be offering some practical tips. My intention is to offer some very practical tips reflecting on my own passive practice for bringing right view and right intention into our practice of present awareness and opening to a deeper happiness through this practice that's not dependent on conditions, not dependent on good health, not dependent on finances, not dependent on our relationships, but opening to a happiness that's unconditioned. That we can realize in small ways and bigger and bigger ways through our commitment to this moment-to-moment -moment awareness practice and by cultivating right view and right intention and the other path factors. So reflecting back, coming into this practice, I recently ran across a journal that I had 20 years ago. So before I'd even found the meditation practice. And at that time I'd written, I have all these things in life that are good, seemingly all the things that are supposed to bring happiness. I had financial security. I had a good job. I had a partner that I loved. Still with the same partner 23 years later. Never expected we'd be able to get married too. Two men, sweet. But I recognize in that journal, something seems very fragile. It's a great fragility. A sense of something more being needed. And I think that fragility was a recognition of suffering. Old age, sickness, and death 
is suffering. Nothing permanent of this world to hang on to for lasting happiness. So it became a calling for something more and then finally finding this practice and finding such a, a great relief and hearing the Four Noble Truths. I remember hearing the first the Four Noble Truths in my first retreat, the five-day Labor Day retreat. I think Charlotte Rogel, Rogel gave the talk. And just the acknowledgement, there is suffering. There is suffering. Oh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> it's not personal. Such a great relief. And to hear the noble truth that there is a cause of suffering. It's wanting, not wanting for things to be otherwise. Kind of a contentiousness with the present moment. And that peace is possible, the third noble truth, that there is freedom from suffering. And that the Buddha offered this path of practice that leads to the end of suffering. This path of practice that still so deeply inspires me that this very moment of being together, of practicing with the Buddhist teachings, links us directly to the moment of the Buddha's awakening. That he fully realized the truth of the way it is and she chose to share these precious teachings that they have carried forward over these almost 2,600 years. So we're following the very practice that he offered. I was really swung around at that time by what the Buddha called the vicissitudes of life, praise and blame and gain and loss. My job, I worked as uh, airport director for SFO. So... um, very time-demanding job. But I was really swung around by praise and blame. My name would be in the paper, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways. And I would crash when it was in bad ways. So I started to find some peace to rise through these vicissitudes in life, through this practice of present awareness. So right view and right intention. Right view really provides a perspective it provides a perspective on the importance of our actions and provides a perspective that allows us to live more in harmony with the world. I think more in harmony with our own hearts, with our heart's deepest wishes. And uh, right intention provides a direction for practice, the intention for letting go, the intention for kindness, the intention for non-harming. And together they really provide a foundation for the whole of the Eightfold Path as wisdom factors. Opening to this possibility of peace in any moment, even in the midst of great suffering. I like to think of our practice as being, I've used this analogy with my Sangha in the city recently, where our practice is just to be present for whatever is arising and compare it to a little bit to going to Dolores Park in San Francisco. Dolores Park is this beautiful park near my house. Up on top of a, the hill, one corner of the park, there's this great vista of the city and of the bay beyond. And just as uh, you can go to that park in the morning, usually foggy, know there's a view, but you can't make the fog lift. You just sit, pay attention, the fog begins to lift. Begin to see the great view, the vista, the beauty of the bay. It's much like our own practice. We sit, we pay attention, 
We use a right, right view and right intention to support the practice, and the fog begins to lift so we can see things more clearly. And we begin to see pockets of fog that are covering up other things, and we see that fog lift and see greater beauty. And at the same time we're seeing more clearly, we're opening to the beauty of our own hearts, to these innate qualities of the heart of awareness, these divine abodes of loving kindness, compassion, empathetic joy, and the, the peace of equanimity. So right view. Right view, uh, the definition I love the most is from Ruth Dennison, uh, first woman Vipassana teacher in the West. Right to the point, right view understands karma. Karma, she describes as, karma is there's no getting away with nothing. There's no getting away with nothing. Maybe some of you know Ruth Dennison. She added a little bit more to that sentence. And those of you who know her may really, really enjoy this. There's no getting away with nothing, darling. (laughs) (laughs) And Joseph Goldstein on Right View. It means that the results of our actions follow us like a shadow. We may not always see the results of our actions directly, but every single action has a consequence. So we can see this, can really see it most clearly uh, when we speak words of anger. Uh, this is really apparent to me. If I get short with someone, I feel a residue, kind of the rattleness afterwards. Maybe you feel even more directly if you express anger to your partner or to a loved one, maybe they give it right back to you. The karmic consequence. So understanding this, opening this, uh, opening this to this more deeply uh, has certainly supported me in refining my practice and refining my practice particularly in the world and the workplace and understanding that hatred never ceases by hatred. Hatred ceases by love alone. So I bring the willingness to open to feeling the anger but not giving expression to it in a way that's harmful. And two, in my, in my work life, being aware of the karmic benefit of skillful actions, I found that I really seek to find those actions that are going to produce a benefit, that are skillful, that are for the benefit of others, maybe for the benefit of myself in a healthful way. So the things I carry with me the most after this long career at the airport are those acts of kindness, Feelings of kindness and compassion. And um, some years ago, about uh, 16 years ago, just working to raise the wages of workers. Workers were earning about minimum wage. Raised the uh, wages by $5 an hour. So 14,000 workers at the airport who now have a minimum wage of $14 an hour plus health benefits who can afford to live on one job usually used to be that workers had to work two full-time jobs at the airport to survive. So those actions that I that was involved in in some way are the things that carry with me and uh, really feel the, the benefit of those skillful actions. Same, uh, reflect in the same way on efforts to improve uh, 
to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and make a contribution to the environment in a positive way. So the Buddha gave advice to Rahula. Uh, the Buddha had a son, and when he came back from realizing full liberation, full enlightenment, he still saw his son and offered advice to his young son, the classic advice from the Buddha de Rahula that you may have heard before, is to reflect on your intentions and your actions before taking an action. Reflect during and reflect after. Is it skillful? Is it for the benefit of others? Benefit for, of oneself in a healthful way? Or is it causing harm to others? And this can really be a very refined practice. So reflecting before and then during so that we can catch ourselves if we find we're making a mistake. We can stop right in the middle of the action and then change our course. And then reflect afterwards, both appreciating the benefits of skillful actions, just as I reflected in commenting on working to support workers with higher wages and benefits, appreciating the benefits of skillful actions, and then reflecting on those times when actions are not, are not skillful and may be causing harm. The right view can provide the perspective for every moment of our lives to really refine our practice. And as we refine our practice to bring to make, kind of purify our actions, purify our intentions, it purifies the field of awareness so we can see things more clearly and allow these beautiful qualities of the heart to come forth naturally, to be more fully present with our heart's deepest wishes. So right intention, right intention, letting go of outcomes, kind of not making our happiness dependent on a particular outcome, the intention for kindness, and the intention for non-harming. So 10 years ago, I came back from a six-week retreat and, uh, at I Insight Meditation Society, and I really felt like I wanted to quit work so I could devote myself more fully to the Dharma. And it just didn't seem practical, didn't seem possible. So I decided I have to bring the Dharma more fully into every aspect of my life, especially into my work life, because I was still making this distinction between practice on the cushion, practice on retreat, and not bringing much practice really, really into, uh, into work life. Some amount of right view, consequences of actions, but not this right intention, not really bringing kindness, compassion to the workplace. So I really decided I would make this a very important part of my practice. And it was transformative for my own practice to bring this in at this level. So I started by beginning to let go of goals. Goals are really important in a big organization, right? But I let go of the goals being mine. Started to let the goals be set by everyone else. Let the vision be set by everyone else. I started to let go around attaching to the outcome. Now, a good warning for us is when we say, I'd be happy, I could be happy if only my partner would do this, or I could be happy if only my health condition would be this way. It's a warning signal that we're getting attached. 
So softening around the goal. So you know, I love Terminal 2. I kind of really love Terminal 2. I think it's a great terminal. A Virgin America, American <laughs> terminal. I'm not supposed to take pride in things, but I take some pride in it. But I really have nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> everybody else set the goals and the vision. And then because people started being so kind to each other, they started trusting each other, they started helping each other, they started envisioning possibilities that I didn't even imagine were possible. And so that, that terminal building provides such a great experience, I think, for people. And it, it went beyond what I thought would be possible. Next time you're in that building where Virgin America are an American, check out the silence. It's the most silent terminal building that I've ever been in. It's beautiful. So, so we let go this um, aspect, this element of letting go. It's a, this element of letting go of wanting and not wanting, wanting things to be other than what they are. And uh, it can be such a rich practice to practice with this around the things we usually attach to, health, finances, relationships, and beginning to soften around needing things to be just a particular way. So we can find the peace right in the middle, sometimes right in the middle of suffering. I find this so deeply in my practice as a hospice volunteer. It sometimes happen, happens in being with a person who's dying and seeing the complete letting go to the acceptance just as they, to things just as they are, right in the midst of suffering. And in that letting go, the forces of greed, aversion, and delusion are not present. And when they're not present, the heart is fully open. And the clear seeing, the wisdom naturally arises. So the first aspect of right intention, letting go. The second aspect of kindness, or, or metta, or goodwill. I have a friend who works at a Starbucks, and she really brings this intention into her workplace. She works at a downtown Starbucks, so long lines of stressed out people every morning. And she tells me she really keeps checking in. She works the cash register sometimes. People aren't always so friendly but she has the intention to be kind. And it's not always so, and she doesn't always remember, but it's been transformative for her in her practice and really beautiful for me to witness and see. So another uh, person I met on a retreat, on a metta retreat, a yogi, talked about how he brought the practice of kindness and generosity into his workplace, into an uh, investment firm. Very fast-paced, probably stressful environment. And he said he started bringing in a home-cooked item every week to work and putting it in the kitchen and not saying anything, just bringing it in. And people, he said, were shocked at first, like, what, what are you up to? <laughs> what are you doing? But then they started to open and have more conversations. And then all of a sudden, other people started bringing in food, too. And kind of this cooking from the heart, this natural generosity. So we can bring this kindness even into our workplace, even in the places we think, uh, or may not be, we don't think of traditionally as being in places where we 
talk about kindness and that we're so conscious of bringing it in. And we always start with kindness for ourselves. Let me check in with volume again. Is the volume fine still in back? I tend to fade, okay. So we always start with kindness for ourselves. The Buddha said that the loving kindness practice always starts with oneself and then radiates outward. So in the words of the Buddha, you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You, yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. So when we see suffering right here in ourselves, when we acknowledge it, that is an act of kindness, of compassion. I felt this, uh, I felt some sadness last week, kind of having parted, parted with uh, friends from work and not seeing them. And uh, felt the sadness, and it felt really big and yucky, and didn't want to go there. I remembered, oh, oh yeah, I teach meditation, <laughs> I teach mindfulness. Okay, what do I say? I'm suffering. So that acknowledgement, I'm suffering. That's kindness. And then recognizing, acknowledging. Oh, this is sadness. Oh, there's an added layer of I am sad, that added layer that I am, this self-identification of clinging, it really isn't necessary. So then letting that drop away, just feeling the sadness, feeling the sadness in the body, being willing to be present with it, intimate, and then allowing it to drop away. And so this, interesting, this week, Reflecting on the 35 years of work, there's nothing to be found. It's just so entirely gone. There's memories, there's friends, but it's just gone, 35 years. And it's a sense of great ease and freedom. Maybe, maybe you can see, see this. It's freedom in the not clinging. It feels like a real gift. Has such gratitude for the practice. You now, too, when I was leaving, you know, to, to get compliments on the new buildings and things like that that, that were that were completed in my time there. What mattered most to me was hearing um, an executive assistant who stopped me in an elevator and said, "You know, you were really kind." what mattered most. And when I'm in my hospice volunteer work, never hear anybody at the end of their life comment about how they're glad they were so successful in their career or their finances. It all comes down to the heart, the kindness. So we find the kindness and this ability to from this place of kindness, from this place of love, to speak the truth, even in the face of great injustice. There's this great power in being able to stand up for what is true, speak about injustice, speak about hatred, but from a place of love. And I really connect with these words of Martin Luther King that we will match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. 
Do to us what you will, and we will continue to love you. And sometimes there's a great clarity. I, I remember I had to let go, let an employee go who had an alcohol problem at work. You know, someone I was really close to as well. I was really connected to the heart at that time. In fact, I'd just come back from a meta retreat. It was just so clear that the compassionate action was to, was to do that. And uh, he did. After some time, he did uh, sober up and we reconnected as friends. So we can be beacons of light and staying with our hearts, staying with love, can be beacons of light in this world where there's so much hatred today, so many difficulties. It's so beautiful to think right here, right here, to be with loving kindness, to be with compassion, the intention of non-harming. And this love doesn't stand in opposition to anything. Love just loves such a beautiful thing. So we really surrender to its force. We surrender to the force of this love, to this intention of kindness. So I really sought in my years, uh, those last 10 years, to start talking about kindness in the workplace. It's kind of radical. Um, it was for my workplace. People looked at me like, what are you doing? Why are you talking about kindness? But people caught on. And uh, now people, everybody talks about it in that workplace. And it really creates a, a place where people want to be and creates a, a level of caring where people want to help one another and where people recognize that the happiness of others, even in the workplace, is important. Not just the happiness of friends and loved ones, but happiness of the people we spend usually 2,000 hours a year with in the workplace. I started talking about kindness. I started checking in with kindness. I had the intention to check in before every meeting, before every phone call with my intention. I'd say I got that about one out of 25 times. (laughs) But the intention, underlying intention was there and started to create some deeper grooves, started to create some real benefits. So checking in from from time to time as much as we can. And I also started to bring in the power of forgiveness, of asking forgiveness, of acknowledging when I made a mistake, consciously or unconsciously, asking forgiveness. A radical thing to do, to ask for forgiveness in the workplace. And I I reflected, imagine what our elected officials, imagine if every year as a part of the State of the Union address, (laughs) the President of the United States would say, I'm not perfect. I'm sorry for any harm I've caused. Please forgive me. Wouldn't that be amazing? We're all human. So I love this, this, this understanding that when we're fully loving, when our hearts are fully open, there's no greed or aversion. When our hearts are fully open, there's perfect clarity to see things as they are. And when there's perfect wisdom perfect seeing of the way things are, seeing the truth, the heart is fully open. The heart is released from all confusion. So the Buddha could see the suffering of the entire world, see the truth of the way things are, see the suffering of the entire world, and hold it all with great compassion. 
and yet he was known as a happy one. So we can open to suffering, we can allow the heart to be fully open and find a greater strength than we might have thought we knew that we had. There's this beautiful quote I found from Deepama, one of the most realized beings from the last century. She was a teacher to many teachers here in the West. She said, before I used to discriminate, this is my friend, these are my relatives, and there was attachment. Now I feel loving thoughts and metta toward everyone. I don't discriminate. I don't say, this is my daughter, I have to give her more attention. My love feels the same toward everyone. Isn't that amazing? So the third element of right intention is letting go. Letting go of attachments, letting go of things needing to be other than what they are. I mean, so, I'm sorry, first element, letting go. Second element, kindness. Third element, non, non-harming that manifests as compassion. Okay, back to the present moment. Um, so compassion is a quivering of the heart, quivering of the heart in response to suffering and the wish for it to end. So we've really been using this tool and practice of watching, is there suffering present? And if suffering is present, is there a sense of compassion? It can be kind of a little warning bell. Am I fully present? So last week, my partner and I walked down to the mission to a theater. And uh, part of this cycle in the path is old stories come up. And I'd had an old story come up, trauma from when I, when I was four years old. I'd not connected with this trauma before. This is part of the purification process. These things have to come up. So I was really feeling, feeling that. But as I walked down to the mission, it was right at 16th and Mission, plenty of suffering around there, homeless people on drugs. I could feel my heart wasn't open. I wasn't connected. I was kind of stuck on this story. And then an intermission... Okay, then I did the acknowledgement. Okay, I'm suffering, went into the direct experience. Then there was some letting go and the heart started to open. So it was an entirely different experience when I walked out of the theater at the end. I had opened to what was present. The heart was allowed to open and I could feel compassion for the suffering that was in front of me. The compassion is this natural manifestation of the heart. It just arises naturally in response to suffering. From Yange Rinpoche, compassion is the spontaneous wisdom of the heart. It's always with us. It always has been and always will be. When it arises in us, we simply learn to see and how strong and safe we are. I have this uh, beautiful little story from uh, my hospice volunteer work being of compassion, being with a woman, Mary. I sat with her for several months. Uh, she was around for a while. I would just hold her hands every Sunday on my shift. And um, she couldn't speak. She'd had a stroke. The nurses thought she had no cognitive ability whatsoever. She never, never gave any indication of speaking or understanding. But I felt something in holding her hand. And... Uh, Felt something, a real beautiful quality of the heart. And one day we were sitting and suddenly we heard a glass break in another room and someone cry out for help. 
and without a moment hesitation, she lifted up her hand that I was holding and waved for me to go help the other person. Uh, this beautiful quality of compassion right from the heart. No, no, no thinking, maybe no thinking even involved. This is a shock to me when I first started going into the hospice uh, volunteer work is seeing suddenly words come out expressing that I was seeing the beauty of someone's heart or suddenly my hand reaching out and stroking someone's forehead and seeing there was no thought behind it. It was just happening. It was happening from the awareness, finding this deeper level of trust in the awareness itself and allowing these heart qualities to just emerge in response to whatever is present. So I really make it a practice now, too, around generosity to allow when the impulse for generosity arises from the heart to try and make a practice of acting on that impulse rather than letting that thinking process get in the way, trusting the heart. So this uh, talk on the right view and right intention, right view, um, setting the perspective for practice, right intention, setting the direction through letting go, kindness, non-harming, and uh, hopefully some provided some tips and tools that are helpful in your practice that you can continue to check in on these and deepen your own practice for being more fully present in the world, more fully present with the beautiful qualities of the heart, these qualities of kindness and compassion, joy, and equanimity. We really open to the possibility of peace in any moment. We're not clinging to anything. Peace is possible in any moment. That's not something far off that we're practicing toward. We just sit to allow these veils of confusion to drop away for the heart to fully open and for the clear seeing to be known. So thank you for your attention, for your practice, for being here on this Sunday morning. And uh, do we, we have time for some questions or comments? I think we have a few minutes. So uh, I heard about the right view. Uh, it is about cause and effect. Um, and uh, I came to know there is a two type of views, like uh, worldly view and uh, Mm-hmm. Mundane view, supra mundane mm-hmm. view. Some, mm-hmm. so is it uh, different um, from? I hear there is a twelve links which has analyzed the um, cause of suffering, and um, mm-hmm. is it uh, required to go that deep or just uh, look at cause and effect much simpler way? So you could think of right view being both the beginning and the end of the path. It's kind of a cyclical nature with a deepening of path of practice. A right view includes both the understanding that actions have consequences and also the deepening understanding of the Four Noble Truths, that there is suffering, a cause, 
end of suffering and a path leading to the end of suffering. So that is very much a part of right view, um, that understanding, and ultimately the super mundane uh, view takes hold with a, with a deepening of practice. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Um, in, in our day-to-day life, can you um, give us a tip, tips to practice the mindfulness in each and every action that we do in a very, very simpler way? A very simple way. <laughs> a very simple way. I'm just a beginner, so... Um, I mean, I've never been to retreats or anything. I'm just starting, so... That would be helpful. Most of all is to pause <laughs> and to stay connected with the body, especially in daily life, to, to just check in with the body from time to time, feel the feet on the floor, and take the pause before an action. And begin to, to learn kind of the, begin to see some of the warning signals on actions that are skillful or unskillful, and just keeping, keep checking in on that, that intention. Um, so does um, doing the retrospect at the end of the day with our behaviors and actions, is that something that would be helpful? To reflect? It can be use- useful to reflect at the end of the day. Sure. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm really interested in what you were saying about the workplace. Mm-hmm. And if I heard correctly, when you first began doing that, you just acted it, you just did it. Mm-hmm. And it caught on. Then I heard you talk about kindness and actually talking about That's kindness right. in the workplace. That's right. Um, I'm wondering, did you talk more about any of this than that? I mean, just sort of to change the culture, was kindness the one thing explicitly that you did, or were there other things that you named? I really sought to bring in kindness and non-harming into as a foundation for conversations about actions to take, um, the appropriate actions to take. And there's a lot of gray areas, so so putting the focus in that discussion and... uh, I would give each year state of the airport addresses to 1,800 employees. Really sweet. And uh, the last two state of the airport talks, one was caring, the theme was caring, and the second, second one was love. <laughs> Pretty crazy <laughs> to bring into the workplace. But, you know, caring about the people we serve, caring about one another, caring about the communities that we're a part of. So trying to bring that more and more into the dialogue so that everyone can make a heart connection. You know, that the carpenters, that the plumbers, the financial analysts, that they could all make a connection to their work and make a connection to caring about other people. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So hearing, hearing you answer this last question and, and from the last question, um, I had this thought that um, in, your, in the workplace, um, a very large and diverse 
place, there must have been a lot of resistance of, uh, 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 emotionally, intellectually, and um, I'm curious to know um, how you um, skillfully received, managed, responded to that, because I can envision that being um, as, far more difficult, actually, than your intentions of um, bringing that kindness, etc., into the workplace. It it was uh, it was difficult at times. Not not so much with the people I work with, but with outside organizations and people in other organizations sometimes. And I certainly made mistakes and certainly didn't always stick with the practice. So checking, sometimes just doing the checking in afterwards because the words would come out too quickly and then afterwards would feel, ah, that wasn't so skillful after, after all. Sometimes going back and correcting and acknowledging the mistake that was made, but practice isn't perfect. We're, we're not perfect. Uh, I certainly saw the benefits over time. But, uh, I didn't see the, the people I work with. Some people were like a little shocked about bringing kindness into the workplace in such an explicit way. Um, but I didn't see active resistance. Maybe I simply wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some people came on board faster than others. But Okay, I created a pretty, uh, you know, together we created a, a much better place to work where people could feel more happy at work. Uh, yes. Are, are we okay on time, Martha? I have to Uh, my, can you hear me? My my job is caring, so I, I get my job is caring, so mm-hmm. I get paid financially for what I do for my li- my livelihood. But perhaps the most loving thing that I do, which is difficult, and that's why I'm so attracted to uh, the Dharma, and is listening, mm. either to my colleagues or my patients. It's mm. the most loving thing mm. I can do. But that mm. requires for me to be mindful. Mm-hmm. And most times, it doesn't even require a comment. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, that's the most loving thing that I can do for anybody is to be mindful and, and listen. Beautiful. Thank you. It's, it's a great gift, I think, we have from this practice to be able just to be present with others, maybe strangers, but especially with people we love and care about, just to be present is a great gift. And to be present, to listen, allow. You know, thank you. So close our eyes for a moment just to offer the merit of our time together, the merit of our practice to be for the benefit of all beings and for our presence in the world to be for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May it be so.